Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we've been discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer, and we're about to go into a section that deals a lot with spiritual warfare. So before we actually get to the section of his book, Let's just take a few minutes and define the warfare worldview and the providential worldview. Can you just give us a quick overview of that? Okay, the warfare worldview claims that our success as Christians, the well, our well-being as people, our families, the nations we live in, everything depends on arrangements in the spirit world that we need to know about and what the spirits are, who, which ones are over what territory, and fight them so that we can have uh, the victory that they're talking about, which is generally defined as a temporal sort of victory. Okay. And the providential worldview? Providential worldview is that God is bringing everything to his uh, intended end for his glory and for the benefit of his elect, and it's based on Romans 8 and other passages in the Psalms and so on, that God is in charge of his own universe and that we don't need secret knowledge from the spirit world for our own well-being. Right. You did two sessions on spiritual warfare way back at Faith at Risk 3, and the first session deals with this warfare worldview. So listeners, if you want to find that, it is on the front page of the CIC website, CICministry.org. And it's also on the front page of the CIC YouTube channel. And it's called Spiritual Warfare, A Battle of Two Worldviews. It is definitely worth an hour of your time as he can go into much more detail there than what we can do here. So- re-listen re- to that myself um, yesterday, that in the second part, which is on Binding and Loosing. And one of the people we deal with is Greg Boyd, who teaches the warfare worldview. Yes. So the first slide, let me just read that. He okay. defines warfare worldview this way. Stated most broadly, this worldview is that perspective on reality, which centers on the conviction that the good and evil, fortunate or unfortunate aspects of life are to be interpreted largely as a result of good and evil, friendly or hostile spirits warring against each other and against us. Okay. So our so, well-being is a result of what the spirits are doing and the various things that may uh, afflict us as the victims of these spirit beings that are at war. Right. And and now, how would we even know? I mean, this is what gets mind-boggling with the warfare worldview. How would we know what spirits are affecting our lives and how we need to interact with them? Well, that's the, the kicker. And there's a, a huge irony in this whole thing. And we let's, let's tie this to Dutch sheets so we keep... Okay. The- here we're on page 84 of Dutch Sheets book 
in on intercessory prayer. So we had covered some of the things he did with Psalm 110, which he misinterprets. But he goes on and says this. We need to tread on. We God's looking for a volunteer army that will tread on the serpents, tread on the spirits, and so on. Yes. He says this. In other words, at times when Christ lays a prayer mission or burden on us, paga, we might bear it away. Then he has a dictionary from the Greek or Hebrew about that. The task involves warfare. No serious Bible student could study the word intercession, paga, and separate it from the concept of warfare. So he has us in a war. Greg Boyd has us in a war. Watchman Nee has us in a war. We cover that in a video, Nee's version. And see Peter Wagner has us in a war. And so this war that we're in is about spirits and beings and things going on in the realm of the spirits that we can't even see. Right. And our well-being depends on us determining things that we can't really know anyhow. Okay. That is the background. And what we'll see here is that each and every one of these teachers takes certain passages out of context, rarely ever puts them into their context or explains them properly, and then goes off and finds these verses that apply to their version of the warfare worldview. Yes. And yes. one thing we discussed in a previous episode that we are really going to see here uh, probably this week and next week is they have an allegorical view of scripture. So they can take their proof text, allegorize it, and then apply it to us in a way that the Holy Spirit inspired author never intended. Exactly. And let me explain that. We probably talked about it, but it's the typical way that the Bible's interpreted by people who don't really take the Bible seriously. Okay. okay. In any other written document, we read it to determine what the author of the document means and how it applies to us. Yes. Okay. So if you get a notice in the mail that you're on jury duty, you don't get off of that by saying, well, that means to me I should watch football. <laughs> right. Okay. So... In all of, else of life, we have to have the author determining the meaning or we couldn't function. Okay. But in this, because it's the Bible, they take the idea that because the Holy Spirit inspired it, therefore the Holy Spirit's going to tell us, the reader, some meaning that you could never get from the text itself. Right. And to do that, and this is goes way back, this is the Roman Catholic view of Scripture, allegorical method, the reader determines the meaning. Okay. So if the Holy Spirit inspired the biblical authors, and they wrote, and it means this meaning is revealed through the text and the context as we would typically learn, and we're saying, no, the Holy Spirit tells me it means this. Yes. So now we have a conflicted Holy Spirit who is God, the third person of the Trinity. Right. So the Holy Spirit revealed one meaning, through the inspired author, he inspired, and the Holy Spirit tells the reader, the C. Peter Wagner's and the 
Dutch sheets of the world something else, and that's the meaning. And they go all over the map finding things that the Bible didn't actually say. So despite the fact it seems holy and pious, it is actually a wicked doctrine, and they are doing damage to the to the people of God by confusing them about the meaning of Scripture. Okay. And so the the video that we're talking about that we did on this on our YouTube channel, CICMinistry.org. We have YouTube, and you can see that it was shot in 2007. Yes. Oh. So, it's a little daunting to see how young I was then. <laughs> That's the way it goes in life. But there was it was just laid out there that every one of these teachers do not take the meaning of the biblical author seriously. Right. They just don't seem to care. Okay. So that is not pious. It's not deeper life. It's not victory. It's not some new movement that's going to solve the world's problem, like the new apostolic reformation, it is rebellion against what God said. Yes. Scripture. And though it sounds like it's hopeful, it's actually utter confusion. And it's not going to give us the sort of hope the Bible offers, which is forgiveness of sin, uh, sanctification, and ultimately, eternal life, the resurrection, and so forth. This is about something else. Yes. All right. So let's give an example from Dutch Sheet's book here. Okay. Okay. He has this interesting view of what happens in Joshua. And actually, reading ahead into the next chapter, he continues this theme. He makes Joshua into a type of Jesus. And then he has this allegorical view of what happens all throughout the book of Joshua. But let's just start with Joshua 1. How does Dutch Sheets interpret this? Well, he cites uh, taking the land from Joshua 1. Okay. To set up this, what he's going to do with Joshua 1, he mentions some verses about Christ defeating his enemies. Yes. We can look at those too. But then he says, he cites the Battle Hymn of the Republic as an example of using these verses, which is actually an example of taking things out of context and applying them some other way. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. So then here is what the Sheets does with it. Okay. Amazing to me that these, says Sheets, same two words are used to describe not only Christ at war, but also our warfare. Let me give you one such reference. In Joshua 1.3, the Lord said to Joshua, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses, unquote, Joshua 1.3. Okay. Now he uses that in the context of God's wrath and in America, uh, the battle hymn of the Republic. Okay. Let's just, you know, I would think most of our listeners are probably familiar with that, but do you just want to kind of give a brief overview of why that is troublesome? Well, America is not Israel. Right. In the land that Moses uh, told them that God promised was promised all the way back to Abraham. Yes. And it's Israel. Right. 
day, it was Canaan at the time, and there was a battle to go into the land. God had brought them out after those 400 years in Egypt through the water and so on. And, and most people are familiar with that. And Joshua is the one to lead them into the land. And that's where we get Joshua 1.3. What does that have to do with America? Nothing. Right. Okay. Yes. America is not Israel. Right. And taking Bible verses out of context in order to prove something and uh, the fierce wrath of God. Well, the wrath of God we need to be concerned about is God's wrath against sin. Yes. And those who are not trusting Christ through the gospel and whose sins are not forgiven because they haven't turned to Christ are those facing the wrath of God. As far as nations, every nation on the face of the earth has been established by God through providence, and everyone's facing the wrath of God. Yes. Okay? And so the claim that we can somehow take land and claim it for God and establish some version of the kingdom now is purely conjecture, and it has nothing to do with any promise given in the Bible. Right. And look, and looking at the battle hymn of the Republic, so just for some context, it's a that's a civil war hymn, which honestly both sides claimed. Right. But, well, exactly. It's a part of providence and a part of the history that we have here. We're in America, but not all our listeners are, listeners are. Right. But every nation on the earth has had one kind of war or another over the centuries. Yes. And to claim that God is somehow establishing the millennium in America, which some have claimed, it's just absurd. The millennium is about Israel and Christ literally reigning physically on the earth, not about America. Right. Okay, so back to Dutch Sheets and his warfare. He takes Joshua 1.3. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. And then he goes on to say, God wasn't telling Israel that everywhere they walked or stepped was theirs. He had already marked off the perimeters of the inheritance. He was saying symbolically, every place that you are willing to load your weapons and take, I'm going to give you. Okay, so there's... First of all, he's admitting this is an allegorical view of it. It, it wasn't symbolic. And right. God had already determined the boundaries. God had already made the promise. And that it really, in my mind, it really comes down to obedience. The reason they did not enter the land the first time is because they refused to believe God and his promises and walk in obedience. Right. And they never did achieve those ideal boundaries, by the way. Right. Now, what what are the differences here? I printed out Joshua 1, 1 through 7. And uh, it has to do with Moses, the promises. Now, who were the enemies? Well, the Hittites, the various uh, pagans that lived there, that they had to battle. There was a literal land to take and 
uh, they had to do all, which was according to the law of Moses, and don't turn to the right and the left. So there were promises involved in literal people. Right. In the warfare worldview, we're battling supposedly against various spirits. Yes. So this, these were real armies, real people, real bloodshed, and territory that exists on the earth. And the promise was given back all the way to Abram. Right. And and so we see here, you know, verse 7, which you kind of briefly alluded to, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. God isn't saying take up your weapons, though they needed to, and then I'll give you the land. God was saying, believe me, believe my prom- promises, obey the law that I gave through Moses, and I will be with you as you go into the land. Right. So trying to apply that to whatever the warfare teachers are applying it to are the well-being of the individual Christian or the well-being of some territory where some Christians live. Yes. They make all sorts of applications. Watchman, he applied it more to the internal working of the human soul or person. Okay. Territorial, we're going to claim this area so they have spiritual mapping and so on, which I talk about in that video that was made 15 years ago. This is allegorical, pure and simple. It was literal for Joshua. Right. But the application by Dutch Sheets is allegorical. Yes. So he's and- suggesting that we raise up a literal army and go to the literal land of Canaan and start a war. Right. So what's he applying it to? Well, he... He does go to Corinthians 10, as we'll see here, and where Paul alludes to the wilderness wanderers and so on. And there Dutch Sheets finds his way to apply this metaphorically, although he doesn't have the same thing in mind that Paul does. Well, and it's interesting how he gets there. Okay. He's, he says this, um, we're on page 85. So one more time, was God giving or were they taking? Yes. And just to prove my point, remember that the previous generation under Moses was afraid and wouldn't Darak load their weapons and fight and God wouldn't give. Now, as we just mentioned, there's a lot more to it than that. It wasn't just that they wouldn't load their weapons and fight. It was that they didn't believe the promises of God and only Joshua and Caleb did and right. were willing to obey and go take the land. Right. So this, by the way, reminds me of when I was in the charismatic community in the 70s. Okay. This whole episode here, all of these things were the uh, content of many, many sermons used allegorically about taking the land. And they were used as motivational seminars. You know, uh, the land may be your family and its problems. The land may be buying a property that we wanted. Okay. The land may be the internal part of a human that was 
um, confused or demonized or whatever that we're going to take. So there was, there's many, many ways to allegorize this. Yes. And as a matter of fact, all of them are utterly confusing. Right. So you want to share with us how he uses 1 Corinthians 10? Because that really pulls this all together. Yeah. Here's what I did. And I would suggest to our listeners that you do this when you read books. If you're reading a book and you think it may be good and right, and a proof text is flipped out there, and then all the stuff added to it without any exegetical work, go find the verse, print the verses before and after it, and read the context. Okay. That will keep you from being deceived by the allegorical method or the idea that the author, the author doesn't determine the meaning, but the reader. Okay. Which is utterly absurd, but that's what they believe and that's how they practice it. Yes. Here's what he says. Please don't think for a moment that it's any different for us today. These things happen to Israel as types or shadows for us. See 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11. 6, 11. Oh, yeah. So, so I printed those ones, and I'm going to read that in context. So starting at verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. Verse 4, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Okay, verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. All right, here's his verse six. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Now, just my comment, notice he left the second half of that verse off. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, which he mentions but doesn't quote. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written down for our instructions, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Okay, so in context, again, we have believe and obey. Don't be idolaters. Don't. It's actually saying don't do what Israel did. Yeah, don't fall into sin. Stand firm and don't fall. Thank you for citing all of that. The second Corinthians one needs to be understood in that context from the one he cites in first Corinthians. Uh, therefore, therefore, he makes his own conclusion. Okay. Thinks he stands, take heed lest he, that he does not fall. And that's for us, upon whom the end of the ages have come. He's not telling us, he's not telling the Corinthians they need information about what demon is doing what yes but just the opposite right do not fall into these things and so this isn't helping the church when 
famous, highly recognized and published Christian leaders take the Bible out of context, create an entire picture to create this warfare worldview, and just do not make any effort to understand the meaning of the Holy Spirit-inspired author. Yes. So you have Joshua, an Israelite, a leader, going into a real land, according to promises given previously. And we have Dutchies taking out of context, talking about spirits and some uh, undefined land. What exactly would it look like if we had the land Dutch Sheets wants us to get? Right. We 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 don't even, it's not even clear exactly what he's talking about. No, it's people go to these meetings, they get all excited, they, they're cheering. Yeah, we're going to take the land, we're going to take the land. Okay, once we have it, what's it going to look like? Right. Is that, uh, in fact, when we were doing last night, we went, kind of did a little talk about this. Sometimes I think I think so. I wrote it down this time. Okay. What land are we actually taking and what does it look like once we have it? Right. Good question. Here's a quick wrap up. If someone takes the Bible out of context, creates an entire scenario that had nothing to do with what was spoken of in the Old Testament, like Joshua, or in the New Testament, like Paul in Corinthians, and applies it based on some um, very clever, imaginative, allegorical method to present an entire view of what the Christian life is about, you can be assured that that person is a false teacher. Yes. They don't even make the effort to determine whether the biblical authors inspired by who were inspired by the Holy Spirit meant what these people are saying these passages mean. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.